Thank you for visiting Open Life today. We're glad that you took time out of your busy week to join in with our service. If you're listening online or through the Open Life Church app, I need to point out two things for your benefit. The first is that we have our notes conveniently placed for you to follow along with the passages and points mentioned in the talk. The second thing I would like to point out is our connection card. If you fill this out while you are listening, it not only lets us know you visited us today, but also allows you to communicate any prayer requests you may have. We will be sure to take time to pray for them during the course of the week. If you are listening on iTunes, you can always visit us online or download the Open Life Church app to get in contact with us. Wherever or however you are with us today, we are glad that you are here. Now let's join today's talk. Well, excited that you're here at Open Life today. For those of you wondering, uh, I just realized after all these years I have a Buckley address and I knew I had needed to have at least one boot so I could fit in. I'm trying to be the people, right? Be with the people. Become all things, reach all those. I still don't listen to country music, so I apologize. No, we, uh, I tore a tendon or something in my legs, so I'm booted up. So that way, if you were wondering uh, why I'm hobbling, I'm just glad the little Velcro sound that I hear every time I walk doesn't come through on the microphone for those listening to the podcast. They're like, what's that sound? Um, it's only me. I'm the only one who hears it. Okay, so Luke 16 is where we're at. We're jumping in in our journey through Luke. Only a few months left, and we'll land this plane. We're, we're on the closing stretch of Luke's writings about the teachings of Jesus and the life of Jesus here in the Gospel of Luke. So, four Gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament portion of the Bible. When we read the Bible, the Old Testament points to the coming Messiah, Jesus. And then the Gospels describe the life and teachings of Jesus. And then the apostles reflect on that through the rest of the Scripture. We read the Bible as kind of a curved text that really is reflecting on Jesus or pointing to Jesus and about Jesus. So here we are in Luke, who's writing to us. The majority of us have not been born into the Israelite-like lineage, the people of Israel. Therefore, in Scripture, we would be called Gentiles. We're not God's chosen people in the Old Testament. But Jesus made way for us to, through faith be in right relationship with God to have eternal life through faith in Jesus. So, that said, this whole book is written so that we could affirm and know that Jesus is the Son of God. And in His final moments here, as He's approaching Jerusalem and will be crucified and then resurrect three days later from the dead, and in His final teachings, He's getting deeper and deeper and deeper in His instructions to where he can really get to the heart of the issue, thus today's talk, a faithful heart. So let's jump in. Verse 1 of Luke 16, a parable of the shrewd manager might be what your Bible would say if you're reading in it or on your phone or you could read right behind me. Jesus told His disciples, so His audience for His teaching is His disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So we called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, because you cannot be manager any longer. 
The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My, my master's taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. Then the manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended, so get this, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So if you're reading this carefully, you're going, what? What just happened there? Like, what switch flipped, right? Because this should not be good that he just did that. Anyway, verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, you'll trust, or you, who will trust you with true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So the Pharisees, right, second audience we're introduced to here in this story, the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. But God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. Interesting. Very interesting teaching. And it, it would change a little bit maybe if we read the middle of it different. If we said, you know, the, the manager says, yeah, you cut half of your bill and you cut 20% of your bill. And then if we heard the tone of Jesus... This is like a, an email you send and you don't get the tone, right? person on the other side thinks you're mad at them, but you're really not because you can't tell tone in text. But if you could hear the tone of verse 8 and 9 here, you may hear Jesus take more of a cynical tone to where it would be, you know, take your bill to 800 and then the master, the master commanded, dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than people of the light? I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it's gone, you'll be welcome into eternal dwellings. See what I'm saying? It was like a bad idea, right? That's one interpretation of this text. The other interpretation of this text is the reality that, uh, that the shrewd manager actually did good. So he's commended by the, the property owner, right? Because he removed the dishonest interest from their bills. 
And so both historical accounts are kind of, the jury is out on which is like what really Jesus is trying to accomplish here. All we know is that it makes no sense that he's firing the manager and then he compliments him on taking what is his away. Does that make sense? So just in case you catch that when we're reading, I could have acted like that wasn't there, but that wouldn't be very teachy of me, would it? So we're supposed to figure out what Jesus is trying to tell us. But first off, I just had to, I caught this because last week we talked through uh, Luke 15, and, uh, and, and we looked at the word muttering, you know, they were like, they were muttering about Jesus' teaching, and this week they're sneering at Jesus' teaching. And last Sunday night, we turned on the TV to catch up on something that was on demand, and, and, and it was on the Disney station, and they were showing the Disney movie Brave, and uh, all of a sudden, the, the mother in this movie Brave was sewing some blanket on a wall or whatever, or stitching, I don't know the correct terminology, and, uh, and, and doing rug hook or whatever she was doing, you know, sitting there making some design, and she's going, and the father comes in and goes, are you muttering? Are you muttering again? You're mutter, mutter, mutter. And I was like, wait, I just talked about muttering today, right? So who knows? Maybe today, I bet we can turn on C-SPAN and see people sneering. Sneering is an interesting word. I thought sneering, you know, we could just, again, you could go, the Pharisees were sneering at Jesus. Sneering? What is sneering? So I love this. I I just go to dictionary.com. It's like my, my, you know, default. So I look it up and it goes, sneering. To smile, laugh, or contort the face in a manner that shows scorn or contempt. Try that. (laughs) What does that look like, right? You're like smiling and contorting your face. It was awesome because like there's a bunch of like this pose. If you do an image search for sneering, it's like you know, they got like Michelle Obama and Barack Obama. I was like, ah, I better not put any images up today because it looked like I'm like smearing pol- politicians or something. You know, but it was like uh, there, there are a lot of politicians because they're like sneering at each other. And, and so it's kind of funny. Well, how about the second definition? To speak or write in a manner expressive of derision. Don't you love it when a definition makes you find another definition? <laughs> it's like derision if you're, you know, okay, so... Are you smarter than a fifth grader? No, I would fail that show every time. You know, so I looked up derision. It means to ridicule or mock. And so uh, how about to utter or say in a sneering manner? Don't give me the word in the definition, dictionary.com. That does me no good. But so that's what the Pharisees are doing. They're like, Jesus. Smile, sneer, mock. I don't get it, but that's what they're doing to Jesus. So Jesus is having a tough go of it, right? It's a tough season for his ministry. When one crowd's mocking him, the next crowd's sneering at him. No wonder it's leading to the cross because there's a lot of opposition being stirred up. And when you're in a crowd of people that begin to sneer and mutter and mock, hard to not go with the crowd. So you could tell things are getting a little tougher on Jesus. But yet he continues to send his disciples and to teach his disciples and to train them on even the tougher things of the heart as he does in this passage today. The good news here is that we always get to focus on the good news. You know, as as followers of Jesus, his disciples here whom he's teaching means that's you and I, right? We're trying to grow in a relationship with Jesus. 
That, me- that means to be a disciple, one who grows in relationship and obedience of Jesus. And so he's, he's teaching us in this to always find the good news. The gospel means good news. That's what we're supposed to go and share. So what's the good news in this passage? The good news in this passage is that if we are faithful with little, we will be trusted with much. And I think sometimes we see this in the world around us in practice, and we get overwhelmed by the much. We hear the stories of the much loss of life and an earthquake, and and we hear the story of much political uproar, and we hear the story of much terrorism, and we hear the stories of much trafficking, and we hear the stories of much hunger or, you know, just all these much scenarios. We become very quickly, quickly overwhelmed, and we just kind of freeze up. But here's the good news. We are not being taught to be faithful with much so that we can get a little more. We're being told, be faithful with a little, and you'll be trusted with much. Jesus says, aim small, miss small, right? From the famous theologian in the movie The Patriot, Mel Gibson. Anyway, so, you know, aim small, miss small. It's the teaching is, is confusing in this parable a little bit with the whole, like, the manager does good or bad or he's fired for some reason, and we're trying to figure this out. But what we can land on is the, the conclusions that, you know, sometimes we feel overwhelmed to tackle the big picture, but that's not what Jesus is asking us to tackle. He's saying, tackle being faithful with little and make progress because little becomes much. He simply is challenging us to focus on the little. So look in the area of justice, if you will. Look in the area of, uh, of different things in this world you can picture. Just think of organizations or people who have taken on one thing after another and little became much. I think of the story of Convoy of Hope. We, we opened up the opportunity for people to give to Nepal through Convoy of Hope on, on the website and talked about that a couple weeks ago because there's just been a complete devastation there with the two earthquakes, massive ones that they've had. And, uh, and you, look at, you look at Nepal and you go, you know, completely potentially overwhelming to think of the scope of this, but yet Convoy of Hope is there, and they're one of the first ones because of their reputation of being faithful and and coming and and reaching out to countries in times of need, that they get right through all the regulations that other people were stopped by. But here's the reality. Convoy of Hope started because they had a burden to feed some people who were hungry. And those families they fed became more families, and those families became more families, and then it became another country, and then they took on Haiti, and then they took on additional needs as they arose, and then they took on disaster relief, and then as the organization kept growing, they took on the globe. But if they would have taken on the globe first, they may have been incredibly overwhelmed. Charity Water started when Scott Harrison was on a missions trip and somebody asked him for water. And he's like, well, do they not have water? And they're like, they don't have access to clean drinking water here. People die of water every day. And he's like, so he gave his water to that person, but said, maybe one person at a time we can begin to give water and actually meet the need of, at that time, the one billion people who needed clean water, now 800 or 780 million. It's, they're making progress. 
faithful with little. Open life. Our first summer, we said, hey, let's, you know, we adopted Liberty Ridge Elementary School. It's actually the second summer of Open Life in 2011, and we said, let's, let's do a school supply drive. And so people brought some school supplies and put them in boxes and stuff, and we figured out what Liberty Ridge Elementary School needed because they were the highest need elementary school in our community. And so we uh, gathered a few supplies and boxes and, and handed them out to kids. And uh, for the first couple of years, like, we would show up with a stack you know, like two speakers next to each other of school supplies. We'd wheel them in and give them out and, and during their back-to-school event. And then a, those few school supplies landed to them a couple of years ago saying, what if you could give us 100% of the school supplies for our school? And, and our spirit of generosity said, let's do it. Let's go after this. And, and now we literally, for, for two years, this will be the third summer now, we'll push out and, and, and bring in the support to give 100% of the school supplies to a school, faithful with little. And then Jesus entrusted us with much because they're the ones who asked us. We didn't come with an idea saying, we're going to come save your school with 100% of your school supplies. No, they came and said, somehow they trusted us with much. It was just kind of interesting. Big give, same scenario in the fall. We started off just uh, feeding the families that had need at Liberty Ridge Elementary School, and then the next year, Food Bank wanted to join with us, and then the next year, the Food Bank said, please take this event. It's too big. And then we partnered with all kinds of organizations in the community, so now we try to get out a 1,000 meals to families in both Bonnie Lake and Sumner. You just watch, faithful with little, faithful with much. Open Life started as a small church in the Regal Theater, and, and we, we started, and, you know, moved to Victor Falls Elementary and then here, and we continue to grow. It's been fun to watch the kids' areas grow these last few weeks, and, and they're brainstorming how do we multiply into additional wings, and they're getting new stuff so we could roll it out here on the 31st or June 7th, one of those, and they're, they're getting ready for it. In fact, uh, you know, Things are growing here, but things are growing out in the community with people saying, will you come, will you come, we're hoping you can come, and so faith was little, and it leads to, well, I'll tell you in a couple months. So anyway, then, that was a teaser. Do you like that? Do you like, if you want to hear more, come to Open Life 101 on June 7th. That was another teaser. I just like how you can lead into stuff like that, but uh, it's just so exciting, faithful with little, trusted with much. Jesus' stories were striking a cultural court. Jesus' stories were, were making very clear the hard issues that were going to tempt his disciples. Judas is going to betray Jesus for money in just a few chapters. The Pharisees are going to pay the money. I mean, money is going to be a problem in a second, and he's prepping them for that. He's like, come on, just catch this, Judas. I wonder if under his breath he's going, come on, Judas, listen. But he's not calling out any names at the moment to his disciples. I think they still hit home today, these teachings. When we read stuff like, you're faithful with little, you're faithful with much. And, and when it's, I mean, he's going to nail the money issue hard. Maybe you're sitting there going, Dad, <sighs> you know, sneering. I don't do a good sneer, I think. That's a tough one to reenact. But, uh, you know, just like, don't talk about money again. People come through the door and they think churches talk too much about money. 
sorry, we're preaching through Luke, and it's Luke 16. What do I do? I got to preach it. It's right here, right? It's like, you got to say what it's talking about. No, I don't apologize for talking about money, because we all talk about money. It's just a reality, and this is a challenge to live generously and faithfully steward all the possessions we have, not just our money, but our time and our treasures, our talents. What are we doing utilizing these? How are we utilizing these for God? So I snagged three things that I think are healthy actions for us that we need to realize. I believe we must be aware of if we will be faithful with what we've been entrusted with. So number one, we must give an account. Jesus teaches us here through the reality of approaching the manager saying, hey, I want an account of your management of the property that I've entrusted you with. And if we look at our lives and go, man, what am I valuing? What, I, I need to give an account for my management of the master's gifts, talents, treasures that he's given me. What am I doing with my life? What am I doing with this vessel that God wants to be a conduit in this community with? How am I letting him use me? And how am I letting him utilize the resources? Am I open to him? Are we leveraging our lives for the kingdom of God, for the good news to be made known. And it's great to do an evaluation on ourselves, to do an account balance, to do an audit of ourselves, if you would. So maybe some of you have a bit of Bible background, and, and when we start talking about things like give an account for your giving, you go, wait, isn't there that one passage that deals with the left hand not knowing what the right hand's doing? Any of you follow? You know, kind of, it comes up when you're talking about money, and you, you go, wait, I think the Bible said, you know, uh, don't let, well, here's what the Bible says, right? Matthew 6, 3 says, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Some well-intentioned followers of Jesus will grab that passage alone without verse 2 and 4 and assume that that means every time we give, it's just, okay, whatever's in my wallet, I'm not even going to count it. Bless the Lord, right? And they're not going to know what their left hand or their right hand, and they kind of go, well, and I'm not going to fill out an envelope because it's not right. That I talked to a guy one time in the first church that I pastored in. He's like, I don't ever fill out an envelope that. I was like, well, why? Well, because I don't want anybody tracking what I give. The Bible says that the left hand should not know what the right hand is giving. I was like, following you, following you. Um, but you have to read verse 2 and 4. Listen to this. When you give to the needy, verse 2, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let the left hand know what the right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So, context being accurate, this is above and beyond the tithe. This is above and beyond sacrificially giving 10% of your income. This is, I see a need in the moment. I'm not giving through the storehouse or the church. I'm just going to give to the needy what I feel inspired to give in that moment, and I'm not even going to make sure it's on my taxes at the end of the year, right? 
in relation to. That's when you're going into Walmart and you see the cars that are parked there and you know that they have need and they're expressing that and you just feel that prompt to hand them some money and go, I'm not going to declare that. I have no receipt. Does that make sense? So we have to take into context the passage. Jesus isn't saying, stop keeping track of the 100% to make sure you're being faithful to me. He's saying, no, give generously to the needy and don't worry about keeping record of that. Leave margin. Be generous. Live a generous culture, not just moments of charity. So we're going to give an account to Jesus. He's going to ask us, how faithful were you with everything that I've given you, your life, your resources, your time, your talents, your treasures? And when it handles around money, we do get a little bit fidgety. It's kind of hilarious to, to think back on some of the stories over the course of the years and how people didn't necessarily want to give an account. But Jesus wants to know what we're doing with 100% of our resources, not just 10%. I know we talk about the 10%. Listen to this, though. Leviticus 27.30 says, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Tithe meaning 10%. Whoever would redeem any of their tithe must add a fifth of the value to it. Every tithe of the herd and flock, every tenth animal that passes under the shepherd's rod will be holy to the Lord. I think it's funny that God actually wants us to treat the tithe as holy. Jesus says, don't disregard this. I mean, this is holy to me, and we have the honor to just surrender holy territory back to Jesus when we submit our finances to the Lord, but we make excuses to not do it. Like the manager, and this is what Jesus was warning us of the temptation, like the manager will be tempted to say, well, you know, but, but I, I build houses in Rwanda, carry the four, add the money over times two. I think I'm given nearly 10%, and I'm a generous person. I just don't tithe. And I think we have to, to, to reflect on Jesus' teaching for ourselves and say, is that really what He's teaching us to do? Or is he teaching us to surrender first what is holy to the Lord, give to the church the 10%, and then have margin in our life to give to the needy at will? I'm giving 10% at least. I'm sure if I added it up because, you know, I have relatives that are needy and so I support them, I'm sure it equals the tithe, right? I think Jesus is challenging us on that mindset. He's saying this is dangerous. You're trying to live in the dark with your generosity here, and I think you're going to need to give an account to see what are you really doing. I would give, but, uh, but I support missionaries instead. I would much rather have this conversation. I've loved it when I've had it over the years. It's incredibly refreshing to sit down with somebody and they just go, Thad, here's the deal. And I've done it before I was a pastor, since I've been a pastor, where they're just like, Giving 10% is ridiculous. How do you do that? Are you kidding me? Look at my bills. I'm in debt. I have creditors. I've spent 120%. How do I give 10? I love that reality of I would way rather have that conversation, and I think Jesus would too. 
than saying, well, you know, I'm kind of generous. I, I just don't want to let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. No, we really should evaluate what the Lord wants us to do with our finances. We need to have that conversation with Him. That's why He's approaching the disciples with this teaching. He's saying, what are you doing with what I'm putting in your hands? Are you spending more than I've given you? Do we recognize that everything we have is His? Or we think we're the master? And He's about to approach that issue, right? Because His audience is the disciples. So get that. Point two, we must choose a master. Are we going to be the master? Is money going to be our master? Are we going to make decisions that show that money is our Lord, or are we going to make decisions that show that God is in charge of everything we live for? That's a tough, 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 tough challenge. And if you're just exploring Jesus from a distance, obviously He's not expecting that of you yet. He wants you to first choose to follow Him, and then He's going to, again, we're far along in His discipleship. He's, he's, this is a tough teaching. And so he's going, okay, but now you guys got to get this. Your heart's got to be in the right spot. Choose whom you will serve because you have more than one master. We choose our way or his way, and it's a constant battle. In the world we live in, it's constant. We're put marketing in front of us everywhere, want, 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 be, 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 need, need, need. It's everywhere. I need an Apple Watch. Oh, believe me. No, I'm just kidding. I'm like, come on, Lord. Just a gift. No, I'm just, it's that we, we do. We find these things and we're like, oh, I'm sure I can find a reason to need that, right? Because this is incredible. And, uh, and, and we just kind of grab a hold of, we're, we're pulled in by money, the things of this world, if you would. And we're also pulled in by what money can get us. We're being taught here that this manager saw that, man, if he cuts these guys' bills down, the influence he leverages is interesting, isn't it? So what is calling to you to follow? Is it a house? Is it a car? Is it private school for the kids or the grandkids? Is it decisions years ago that you're still in debt for now that you're trying to bring into right relationship? This is what we're being brought into confrontation with here because that's what happens when you feel the Lord challenging you, okay, it's time I step out and I do a tithe challenge. I just, for the next 90 days, I'm going to give 10% of my income and see what the Lord does. If He really blesses my life and, and you go, man, I'm going to step out and do this. And, and if you're feeling called to do that, but yet you know, I don't have any money or way to do that then we realize our past decisions and, and we need to start being just faithful with a little. Because it can be overwhelming to look at 10%, do the math, carry over the zero, dot over here and go, oh man, there's, this is impossible. What if you're faithful with little? And watch the doors he opens. What if you just take one step? Because that's what he's challenging us to do. And it leads to some beautiful things. It's good news, right? That if we're faithful with little, He'll entrust us with much. If we start with 1%, I bet He gets us to 10% quicker than we can realize. But where are we going to? Are we going to start? How are you doing with the little you can do? 
How are you doing with the little time you can serve? How are you doing with the the talent you do have? And what if God just pours blessing into that talent if you start offering it to Him? I think the world's backwards right now when you hear about talented people who used to use their talent in the church. That that storyline always bothers me. It should be people discover their talent and realize it's from God and start using it in the church. I don't know. I just think differently that way. This week was a fun week. In one week, it was a fun week because God has continued to entrust us with much here at Open Life. And uh, the church's consistent faithfulness allows Him to continue to trust us with more. And a new member of the church who happens to, to work at World Vision uh, saw an opportunity to use their role at World Vision and the heart of generosity that Open Life has faithfully had in our community and bring the two into a partnership to bless our region. And so uh, World Vision signed us up as like this partner in the community. And just because of your faithfulness over the course of the years, this is able to happen. Listen to this, just one week. Uh, Costco makes a donation to World Vision of a bunch of kayaks. And because Open Life is going to a summer camp at Silver Lake Camp, and this person having, happened to work at World Vision knows that and said, um, hey, there's a bunch of kayaks here that World Vision, could you be a conduit to get those kayaks donated to the camp that you're going to, see if they need kayaks? Send a text to Terry, the director of the camp, hey, um, you know, Open Life has come about some kayaks, Would, could you use 10 to 20 new, brand new kayaks? And the reply was, uh, yeah, right? So it's cool. Open Life was able to do that for a camp over in, Meta, in eastern Washington. That was pretty fun. Oh, yeah, and by the way, uh, we have these things in, in, in the warehouse called Kobe boxes. It's school supplies for each kid in these little pouches. And you support that school in the community, right? Yeah. Well, how about you guys just get those boxes for every class, every student, every teacher, and the school at Liberty Ridge Elementary School. And oh, yeah, your partner church in Sumner can get them for Daffodil Elementary, too. Okay. Thousands of dollars in school supplies put in the hands of teachers. Yeah, let's, okay, let's do that. Wait, there's this post on Facebook from a person in your community that needs some resources for a dog rescuing project they do. And a, a, a truck just unloaded 20 to 30 brand new dog beds that could be donated to this rescue shelter. They pull 20 dogs each week out of L.A. kill shelters and rehabilitate them to put them back out into people who, who want a dog. And, and so what if, what if you could just coordinate that donation? Yes. Faithful with little. Just because we've been consistent and faithful, these weird opportunities present themselves because of our consistent generosity. That's the kind of doors that God can open. Nothing we could do. But the cool thing is, it's not an open life story. It's someone sitting and growing in a seat and saying, how could I use my talents to bring glory to the Lord and the kingdom? 
I love this. Final thought. We must realize it's about our heart. Point three. It's about our heart. This whole thing's about our heart. 1 Corinthians 9, 6 says, Remember this, whoever sows reapingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And First Samuel 16, 7b, the second half of it says, The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Giving is not a financial issue. Surrendering our talents is not a, a talent issue or a time issue. It's a heart issue. God wants our heart, not our resources, not our money. He's got all the resources in the world, but he wants your heart. He wants my heart. He wants us to just be fully surrendered and faithful in surrender so that he can take the little we have to give and bless it and make it much that we have to offer the community around us. He's put us here for a reason and a time in a place, and we worship him for it. I don't know your response today. I'm going to pray, but on the back of your connection card, I want to call you to respond. Maybe you want to choose to follow Jesus today. Maybe today you want to say, okay, I'm doing it. This is scaring the tar out of me, but I'm going to take the 90-day tithe challenge. And, and if you need to know more about that, go to openlife.church, and, and you can read about it under the giving tab. Maybe today you, you're walking away going, okay, this week I'm going to inventory what I'm doing. I'm going to take account. I'm going to do this. I'm going to audit myself, and I'm going to look at my time and my talent and my treasures and say, God, am I really surrendered to you? Or, or maybe you just realize you, right now off the get-go, man, I'm not managing the Lord's resources well that he's blessed me with, and I need to course correct. And so you're going to sit down and make a plan. This is the week to do it. This is his challenge to us in Luke 16. So God... Thank you for allowing us to walk through a book that makes us look at tough teachings like this. And I know that sometimes we catch ourselves, and if we really were honest and we looked at our, our giving record or what we're actually purchasing record, if we look at our credit card statement or checking account, we would recognize, man, I don't reflect that God is number one. And so, God, I freshly surrender to you. Or maybe some in this room are in a place where they've never even put their faith in you yet, and that's okay. You've brought them here for a reason. That's so that they could hear good news, that they could take their life right now and trust you with it, and you'll be faithful to give them much more life than they've ever thought they could experience. In fact, your word promises us we get to experience life to the full when we follow you. So if anybody's yet to invite you into their life, may they do it right now, just praying along with me, saying, Jesus, come into my life. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I want to follow you. I want to grow in you. I want to experience this life to the full. I want to experience the much blessings I've heard about this morning that are available through you. In your name, I pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have questions about anything you heard during this talk or have a prayer request, you can fill out the connection card on our app or online at openlife.church. If you'd like to join the mission of Open Life with a financial gift, you can do this quickly and securely through the app by pressing the Give button at the bottom or on our website by clicking on the Giving tab. 
Open Life wouldn't exist without the consistent and generous giving of people like you. Finally, it's great that you had the chance to listen on the app, online, or through our podcast. But have you ever thought about joining us for a service? We meet every Sunday at Bonnie Lake High School at 10 a.m. This way you can put a face to the voice you've been hearing through your ears. Thanks again for joining us today. Have a great rest of your week.